Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with this week's host, Todd Benton. I'm Helen Hillix, your co-host, and today's topic, Getting Beyond Polarization and Divisiveness, a conversation between host Todd Benton and Andrew Morgan, documentary filmmaker. A generation of Americans have grown up seeing progress as an inevitable fact, but many of us are waking up to realize that each of us is responsible for shaping our shared future. How can we shape that shared future together without resorting to shortcuts like labeling or dismissing those we consider different from us? Can we instead try to understand how the life experiences of others impact their views and choices? Join us right now for a conversation with Andrew Morgan, who returns to Interrevolutionary Radio to talk about his new online documentary series, Untold America, on Facebook. Can this new series help to foster an inner revolution of oneness, accountability, and mutual support? Join us right now and find out. The country is more divided than at any point in modern history, and the need for powerful and clear stories of who we are, where we came from, and where we can go are more important than ever. And now, here's Todd. Hey, everyone. Really excited to be uh Speaking with you today and uh, talking with Andrew Morgan, um, we're going to get with Andrew in just a few minutes. He's back uh, with us. He was on our show earlier, uh, well, last year, not earlier, uh, earlier in the series, earlier in our, our series <laughs> with Beth, talking about his uh, film, The True Cost, and today he'll be talking about, as Helen just said, Untold America, and we're really looking forward to speaking with him. First, we have some news. Uh, this is kind of this first one's kind of a long news item, but I thought it was really exciting and kind of an interesting uh, story. So, I, this is from Fast Company Online. It was posted on March 13th, and it's called "To Save the American Dream: We Have to Change How We Think About Work." Work today isn't working for lots of people. Wages for most Americans haven't increased above inflation in 40 years. Real unemployment, which includes people no longer looking for work, is above 10%. Full-time jobs with benefits and protections are growing rarer. More than 15% of workers are now employed on contract or temporarily, one recent study showed. And every indication, from holographic secretaries to Amazon drones, suggests that the workplace will continue to splinter. We don't know what the future of work looks like, whether it will be a wonderful upgrade on today's conditions or some kind of dystopia where wages are meager, robots are everywhere, and inequality is, ramp- inequality is rampant. But we can be fairly sure the policies we have today aren't the ones we're going to need. If we're going to cope with the age of advanced automation and manage the general shift to, quote, flexibility and worker independence, we need to rethink how we support work going forward. You know, the real disappointment, uh, and this is, I I was reading, you know, quoting from the article itself, um, but, you know, Trump's rhetoric doesn't really deal with the changing nature of work, the way more of us are working independently, for instance. It's about bringing jobs back that were lost, you know, a, a kind of nostalgia, not about looking for new forms of sustainable employment. McKinsey says that about half of all paid activities in the global economy, quote, have the potential to be automated by adapting currently demonstrated technology, end quote. 
suggesting enormous churn in the years ahead, even in economic areas that have been relatively unaffected up until now. That includes lab technicians, web developers, that's me, (laughs) lawyers, (laughs) and even managers. So what I found most fascinating in the article is that uh, towards the end of the article, they talk about that along with growing work automation, the wider progress of technology may increase calls for what's called a universal basic income, otherwise known as UBI, where the state gives everyone enough money to meet everyday needs. It's kind of the notion of the potluck revolution, um, that the idea has really already plenty of fans on the left and right, and particularly in Silicon Valley, which loves big solutions and can surely see into today's uh, technologies, uh, I'm sorry, technology's future better than most of us. This is the part that I found most interesting is that UBI, universal basic income, is often criticized for being anti-work because it's assumed that if you pay people money, you know, just for their basic existence, all they'll do is sit around and do nothing. While that's possible, um, however, trials of the policy have shown that not to be the case. Last year, uh, economists studied seven cash transfer programs in the developing world and found, quote, no systematic evidence that they discourage work. In fact, UBI advocates argue that putting a floor under the neediest will incur creativity and shrink the divide between money, work, and socially, socially useful work, like looking after children or grandparents. So I think that's really cool. I, I didn't really expect it to be... Um, something that would be of interest across both sides of the aisle, but I understand it is on both uh, sides of the political spectrum. And that could really change the game for so many people. If we had a basic foundational income, then you don't have to live in fear that you're, you know, it changes your whole psychology. It changes your whole being. If you're not in fear about like where you're, how you're going to pay for your kids, you know, food, (laughs) your own food, Helen, do you want to say anything about that? Yes, I do. I I love the idea. Uh, You know, people will say it's a socialist idea, and of course it is. Um, But we have to get over the stigma about socialism. It's it's being discussed as a real possibility in places like Sweden, I think, and other Nordic countries. Uh, You know, they are really on the verge of doing such a thing. And I think you look at populations like retired people in the United States who are the closest ones to having a UBI UBI or whatever it is, and um, so many retired people do something that is a great contribution to the community because they can, because they right. don't don't have to worry about what they're you know going to do to pay their mortgage. And I think that's a great example of what we could open in our country is that we could open a, a whole source of humanitarian activities and help people express themselves in ways they never thought possible if if we weren't all so worried. It reminds me also back to the discussion about that was such an uproar on the news a few months ago about that the top eight wealthiest people in the world have as much money as the more money than the lower 50% of all of humanity. And that if that money were divided up, that everyone could have a $200,000 a year income. I know, so, it's amazing. So it, it is possible. You know, this this kind of reality is possible, and it would certainly change the world. I'd love to hear what Andrew has to say about it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I think I'm 
we've we've been doing a lot of work to to look at and understand you know the nature of work and the changes in it and uh yeah i just i like what you said a lot i mean i think it does carry a stigma i think especially in in certain middle parts of the country where work is so attached to dignity and there's such a a self-reliant narrative but i think um yeah, what you're describing is a much more beautiful story and one that feels much more in touch with the reality of the future that we're stepping into. And it is terrifying that we're not having more real conversations about that, you know. It's terrifying that we went through a political campaign season where we didn't actually address things uh, like this. So, yeah, I think it's fascinating. One of yeah. the, I'm sorry, one of the things that came in the news recently, too, is about driverless vehicles and how once there are driverless vehicles, especially driverless trucks, that something like, I don't know, 40,000 professional truck drivers, I mean, maybe it's more 400,000, I don't know, it's a big number, are going to be without work. And they're making no no training efforts, no discussions about this. And it's imminent. It's like within four or five years. Yeah. I know. It's, 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 there was another story I was going to cover, but I think we're already getting into it. There's another story from Fast Company called, and I'll just point this to people so they can check it out if they're interested, because it's talking about what you're saying, Helen. It's, it's called How the Netflixification, Netflixication Can Deliver a Waste-Free Circular Economy. Um, when products turn into services, the business model isn't about selling you the next widget. It's about longevity, repairability, and sustainability. So that's Fast Company Online, and that's a very interesting article, too. But let's get right into our conversation with Andrew. I mean, we already have. So uh, I have so many questions, and I didn't like list them all out because I just wanted to let the conversation flow from, you know, it just kind of flows naturally. So the thing I wanted to start with is what was the genesis of this series? Did it come about as a result of the uh, the primaries and the election process, or you know uh, what what was the impetus and how did it come about? Yeah, I uh, well, and thanks for having me. I, I love talking yeah. to you guys, and uh, I've been looking forward to it today. Um, I was in Seoul, Korea, and I was finishing up a series of films that I was doing on climate change, and we were working with mayors in different parts of the world, and I was sitting in a hotel room. Uh, early morning watching on CNN as the election returns came in and and saw Donald Trump elected president of the United States. And I had this really clear moment, and I haven't had many moments that were quite as clear, but I, I was um, I left the room and went and got breakfast with my producer, Michael Ross, and we had a conversation that morning, and I just said, I, I don't know how, but... I cannot imagine being a filmmaker in the United States of America living into 2017 and not telling stories about our own country. Um, I'd spent several years up until that point traveling uh, internationally, and, and I've, a lot of my work has been outside of the States and focused on you know these very large global things. And what struck me as you know, I, I spent that first 48 hours, like I think a lot of us did, just trying to, you know, get my brain around what had just taken place, <laughs> and and then and then begin thinking more thoughtfully about, you know, what were what what did I miss? What did I not see? What do not what what do I not understand? And what I what I came to realize very quickly, and it was a very humbling thing, um, was that there's so much about this country that I don't understand, and I think there is such a 
there's such a temptation for me to think that because I intellectually can get my brain around all these big concepts and issues and ideas that I have experienced a lot more than I actually have. And what I, what I began to think about was I'm really, you know, more than like setting out to make this series to like, you know, communicate all these ideas. I want to go learn. Like I actually want to go take the year. I want to take a year off from traveling internationally. I want to stay at home in the States. And I want to spend time with people whose experiences are so vastly different than my own. And in the process, I want to tell stories that uh, find a way to humanize some of the headlines. Because I think my experience um, up to that point and, and, and definitely still today is that the only thing I've ever really seen change people is uh, other people. And it's an amazing thing that happens to me when, when someone interacts with, with, um, with another life story. And I, I think a lot of times, you know, looking at the election cycle and kind of coming off of the fatigue of what it meant to be a human being and a U.S. citizen in 2016, what I felt was that, you know, a, there had been a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of fighting, um, and we hadn't hurt each other at all. And, and we weren't actually getting any closer to hearing each other. We were actually getting further uh, and further away from that. So I, I kind of set out to, to say, you know, I, I don't want to go make something that's going to be like the strongest or the most biting or the most aggressive or the most, you know, all these natural impulses of like, I want to go just fight for how, you know. I, I, what we really <laughs> yeah. set up is let's, let's go listen and let's go try to like, let's try to take off the hat of quick judgments, easy answers, and let's try to acknowledge some of the complexity um, that is this country, that is this world, and, and that is this moment that we're living in right now. That's awesome. I mean, it's really coming through too. I've been watching. I've watched every episode so far, and it's it's really coming through. Your the one that was released today about uh, the woman who's a dreamer. Um, just really, it really captures like what is it like for a person, and when you have that human, real connection with someone, you know, it's so much harder to to be stuck in a mindset like, well, we got to get all immigrants out of this country, or whatever your mindset might be. You know, it just like it humanizes the story. It makes you. And uh, I just love what you've what you've done and what you're doing. Um, uh, it's uh, I'm thrilled about it. And I, how what uh, what I'm, I'm curious about being a web episode, you know, a series of web episodes, and how that came about. And are there other distribution pathways you're you're working on? Because part of my interest is, you know, I'd love to see it. I'm sharing it every week, but I want to see it spread. You know, I, people need to see this. Yeah, well, I, I think so too. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, you know, it's, it, it was really, it's, it's been very fun. We, one of the things that, that I decided, um, you know, after coming back and, and, you know, actually getting it set up the next week was, you know, up until this point, I've made these large, uh, long form documentary films. And, you know, those films can take two or three, five years at a time to make. And, you know, you go off and make it really on your own, very small team of people. And then, you know, you, you, you release it like in, in these very big moments. And I felt like, you know, we, we don't have that kind of time right now. Um, there's yeah. this window of opportunity where I think people are more open. I think they're more open to some really exciting things. And we can talk more about that, but I think that's the, like, that's not just the gold lining here. That's like the profound opportunity that might be invisible in plain sight. So I felt like that's so ripe. Um, I don't want to go pitch this. I don't want to go wait in line. I don't want to, that, that, I just have been through that process and it can sure. take Sure. Uh, I totally understand. I, so, I mean, I, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so we so we just jumped into production. You know, we had um, uh, we we got a couple of grants uh, coming off the last film that we had done. Some really generous groups that had just said, you know, put this towards developing your next thing. And oh, instead cool. Of, instead of developing our next thing, we just used that money to actually like roll up our sleeves uh, and just jump into production. And we decided that, you know, we want it to, to be a series. Uh, we want it to be a conversation that goes on throughout the year. We want it to be a weekly episode driven thing. And then we just said, you know, let's, let's put it out online for free for everyone. Um, let's put it right into social networks. Let's not try to get everyone to come to one place. Let's just go where they are. And we just, you know, we started that really, really quickly and really organically. And I I think the the hope and the goal is that we bring on some more partners and that we we see that audience and community grow. But you know, that being said, like I it's it's been some of the most rewarding work that I've done from the standpoint that the level of interaction that we're having and the and the the dialogue that's really two way. I mean, like I some of the episodes that we're uh, about to film right now, uh, two of them came from stories uh, from viewers that had seen some of the other ones and suggested something. So it just has this very organic, pure uh, feeling to me. And yes, I hope it grows, but I I don't know. I've never. I've, I've, I've really never been having so much fun. And it kind of, and I know you know this feeling, it's like that thing where it reminds you how it used to feel when you first started. Like that, that's how like simple this one feels, you know, and there's something magical about that. I love what you're saying. Uh, you know, it reminds me of things that we're doing in the inner revolution as well. And that's part of the synergy that we feel with you, Andrew, is that we're so in alignment with the principles that you seem to be supporting. The oneness concept, of course, is highest among them in that we've got to heal this divisive energy in our country right now and going out and talking to the people about what's really going on and humanizing all these concepts and all these ideas is, is a genius way of doing it. And we're doing an event, I, I don't know if Todd told you about, on April 8th called Revolutionizing the Abortion Conversation. Uh, and it's about bringing together people from both sides of the abortion conversation together to find out what we have in common and to find a way of moving forward together. And I think that's the same goal that you have for your Untold America series. And I hope there are many more of us besides you and us. And I hope there are lots of other groups doing that same thing because that's the only way that we can move forward. I think I think that's so true. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that realization. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that people are walking away from the election, you know, whoever they supported, I, I think there's a sense in which a lot of us are beginning to realize that uh, our traditional leadership uh, has, has failed us in, in, in really dramatic ways. And that's, yes. that's tragic and that's angering. And there's all sorts of like good ways to process and deal with that. But the, what, what I wake up with the next morning is that there's no Superman coming. Like there's no one else who's going to show right. up and like magically, you know? And I think that's exciting to me because it, it means we are all we've got. And, yeah. and so maybe a conversation would be in order, you know? Not to mention the fact that I'm, I'm continually struck by the fact that, you know, when you look through history, um, we, we can become incredibly dangerous when we group people into categories.
categories and columns and unknowable, nameless, faceless groups. That's that's when we're at our worst, all time yes. worst. Yes. And 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 that you know the humbling part about that I have to say is that goes both ways. And and you know as someone who you know traditionally is a little bit more on the you know progressive, liberal, whatever you want to call it, end of things. I'm as guilty of that as as anyone else. And part of the the really um, humbling exercise I've been going through. Uh, so far in the series is to realize, you know, as much as I rage against that on one extreme, I, you know, I can loop and I can group people into some of those same categories. I can look at, you know, pockets of our country or certain more rural areas or certain, and I can make really, really big judgments. And as I've began to kind of peel back the layers on like why that is and how I can get through that, it's, it's profound. It's, there's a lot of meaning to be found. And I mean, it's like one of those, like you come full circle to what your mom told you, but there's a lot of power in listening. And I just, I'm amazed by that right now every day. Yeah, I love what you said earlier about learning, and and uh, w- so those are some of the things that it sounds like you're learning, like how to relate. You know, I mean, if you think about what we learn in school and what we learn in our family, um, we don't have training on relating to other people at all. That's so fascinating. I think about that all the time. Actually, I have kids in school right now. It's so it's so fascinating. You just said that. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. In fact, I don't think we're taught most of the most important things in life in school. But I I I really do. And you know, there's there's a sense in which the more people I sit down and and have conversations with recently, the more places that I travel. Um, we've been spending time in in places like Texas and Iowa and Oregon and these different very outside of my. Uh, you know, typical experience sorts of places. And one of the things that I'm really struck by every single time, and this doesn't matter if it's a an undocumented immigrant living in a, a church in Denver, or this is a sheriff in Iowa, um, I'm struck by how much we actually have in common. And and I'm not I'm not saying that just to be cute. Like I yeah. I'm amazed <laughs> that when I talk to these people, they have. Um, they have hopes and dreams and they have kids and I have kids and they want the kind of future that sounds actually shockingly similar to the kind of future that I want. And while we could disagree on the path to how to get there or, or, you know, maybe some of our experiences have led us to be more sensitive or more fearful about certain solutions, you know, versus others, our starting point is like 95% the same. And, and I, I, as simple as that sounds to me, that is, um, it keeps it keeps blowing me away how much we're taught and trained to see people as others and to see people as different and we're kind of we're constantly uh, we're magnifying those differences and i'm not saying they're not real cuz there are some very gravely serious divergent paths you know that we have to choose from moving forward but I think when we begin to associate our fellow citizens simply along, you know, polarizing two-option party lines, um, we all lose. We all pay a price for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it gets back to oneness. You know, if we are ninety-five percent alike, and we can acknowledge that and stop focusing on the polarization then we can move forward. We can say, okay, again, coming back to the inner revolutions principles, if we can acknowledge the oneness, then we can move into accountability. Okay, so what, what, are, what are your policies 
what are the impact of your policies and what are the impact of these policies and, you know, eventually come up with policies that are, we are really fully accountable for. And it's happening right now with the healthcare uh, initiatives that what are, what are the impact going to be of those? And, you know, of course, if you ask this group, it's one impact and that group, it's another, but it, but people are talking about it. You know, what's the impact going to be because we are accountable for the impact and we need to come from that place of we are all wanting the same thing, just like you said, Andrew. We all want the same thing. We all want to feel connected. We all want to feel validated. We all want to feel safe. And if we can work together to try to enhance those experiences, we're going to move forward. And if we can't, you know, just like you said, that's the dangerous part. I think it's so true. Well, and also, I mean, the thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is uh, – and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I, I've been thinking a lot about this idea that there is a there's a very powerful set of uh, interests in our world. And uh, for me, I've spent a lot of time exploring the uh, the element of corporate power and the element of um, you know profit at all cost uh, sort of power that kind of underpins the the way we've chosen to organize our world. But that kind of power, whichever direction it's coming from has created a status quo, and that status quo has put us in a very dangerous position as human beings. It's put the resources that we need to survive in a very dangerous position, and it has fundamentally kept us living with un, like unknowable amounts of unnecessary suffering. So when I wake up, I think, you know, my goal today, like my job, my mission, and I think it's that of a lot of people, is to say, how can we, how can we push back against this very top-heavy, powerful uh, status quo. And what doesn't move the status quo aside, what, what keeps the status quo perfectly in place is when we can spend all of our energies vilifying each other and fighting. And I Absolutely. think there's, there's this, and I really, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but like I, there's, there's this interesting tension because, you know, you come off something like this election and, and there's this part of you that's like, you know, these are these are moral issues that we're describing here. And, you, you know, you mentioned health care. Um, I've been spending my, my month here on, on immigration. When you look at the EPA funding, when you look at all these things, you're like, this is wildly serious stuff, and I have to take a stand on it. So your, your knee-jerk reaction, whichever side of the aisle you're, you're on, is to, like, double down, to, like, double down on your rhetoric. But yeah. I just have this suspicion that it might be doing the very opposite of the thing you most want to do. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to say we shouldn't protest or we shouldn't. There are moments where it is just incumbent on us to, to take a stand and to use our voice. But when we only, when the only voice we know how to use is yelling, then it's like the power structure, the status quo just gets to cruise along while we're all down here at the bottom fighting each other. And that's as close as I think I come to a conspiracy theory. When I really think about the way the world's organized, I think it is so in their interest, the powerful... Yep to have us fight. So, I don't know, how do you guys, how do you guys think about that? And in your work, how do you navigate like standing for something but also not reinforcing that? Do you want to answer that first, Todd, and then I will or the other? Um, I'm I'm kind of I'm pondering that myself. Go ahead and I, okay. I'll answer well, too. Okay. Well, we've been we've been really working on this issue in the innerrevolution.org and the the last thing we've been discussing is the difference between resistance and revolution. 
And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Andrew, is that we need a revolution. We don't need to pour all of our energy into resistance, although it is important to resist, but we have to resist from the place of we're not going to tolerate this status quo. We are going to try to move together to create a revolution so that we can do it differently. So it's like the resistance has got to feed the revolution or you're sunk and it just stays stagnant. It's like a two-year-old is... Mm -hmm. Their their only power is resistance, you know, and that's when they learn the word no. And so that, that's their power is to say no and just dig in their heels. But that's not any kind of power at all. Really, it doesn't create anything. It doesn't move things forward. And so if, if our country and our world gets stuck in that resistance energy and doesn't move toward revolution, and it has to be an inner revolution, we all have to think differently. And that's what you're promoting, Andrew, with your work, is how do we think differently? How do we feel differently? It's got to start on the inside, and then we can move into the revolution that needs to take place, which is getting rid of that top-heavy society. Todd, I think you're the one that, was, that shared that story about that uh, if we don't change capitalism, that it's going to starve humanity by 2050. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's what you're talking about, Andrew, is that if we don't change this top-heavy capitalistic society at, with corporate greed, we are. We're going to just demolish humanity because we're using up our resources. We're using up, you know, people, the earth, and and the atmosphere and all of it. So that's my answer is, you know, we have to move from that resistance into a revolution. That's a good answer. I'll I'll go with your answer. I like that. What do you think, Todd? (laughs) Um, It's very similar to what Helen's saying. It's, you know, it's like what you're saying. It's connecting with real people. I mean, I think that's the answer. And helping, uh, this is the part that's challenging is in a world of fake news where everyone can accuse everyone else's story of being fake, that really puts us on a precarious ground. It's like, well, who do you trust? Whose information are you trusting? Because there, there is factual information that we need in order to kind of collaborate and make these kinds of decisions. But if, if there's no playing field in which you can trust the news organizations or verify where the facts are coming from, you know, it, it makes it really challenging. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily answering. Uh, I'm, I'm also posing some, you know, additional questions and challenges, but, um, to, to get back to the original point, I think uh, that's why we are in the inner revolution because we need, as you're saying, we need to change from the inside and realize that we're a part of the problem, whether we're on the left or whether we're on the right. And we could, you know, band together to, to um, uh, stop the, and so that's, you know, that I'm trying to share stories that kind of point out the, the facts. There was a great recent um, speech that Dennis Kucinich, former congressman from Ohio, made uh, to the to the Kennedy, a crowd at the Kennedy Center, Senator Kennedy Center, I'm sorry. And uh, it, it's great. It really talks about the, the creation of the Federal Reserve System and, uh, and the privatization of so many of our public uh, institutions that have happened in, this, in, this, in the last century and are continuing to happen and how that erodes the kind of uh, erodes the commons. He was the um, he was the mayor of Cleveland, and uh, he 
made a move to uh, move away from privatization of the public utilities and was able to reduce the electricity bills and the you know the fees that people paid. Uh, and what he demonstrated that when when things are privatized, service goes down and the cost increase. <laughs> so it's not that governments do everything better, but um, so uh, kind of a long answer, but. Um, uh, you know, getting the 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 facts out there to me are so important on on educating people about uh, the ramifications of these kinds of things that happen kind of behind the scenes that we're not aware of, and it it is like you said, keeping people divided so that they don't see the larger things that are going on behind the scenes is really uh, a challenge. I love that you just mentioned uh, Dennis. He's he's a friend of mine, and I. I love his story so much. We were actually just together in D.C. Cool. right after the inauguration. And I, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited for his book that's going to be coming out. I think he's telling his, his kind of his full life story from that Cleveland moment on. I think there's a lot there to be learned. There was but, yeah. so much I didn't know about him, um, about how he grew up and he was living in his car. I mean, I never knew that. And, Incredible. Uh, to read the beginning of that sto- that speech and just like hear where he came from. And so he so completely understands. And um, yeah, that's great. It's wonderful to have some leaders, Bernie Sanders and Dennis Kucinich and, uh, you know, a few others who really are fighting for the same ideas that we are promoting of oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And, you know, there are some, but I also agree with Andrew that there is no white knight coming. Right. It it really is up to us, and I think that speaks back to what you were saying, Todd, that we need to get the facts, we need to be educated about what's really happening, and stop relying on the twisted news reports and the corporate PR to to guide our lives. You know, it's it's all ego. And that's what's exciting about how you've released this content and where, you know, the so- social media is giving us the power to have our own news, you know, Um and th- that's what I see your show, you know, your show as. It's a it's a new form of news, <laughs> you know. And news, you know, the root of that word is new, you know. So that really is new to have a conversation that is, um, a whole, you know, holistically looking at the the situation and bringing people together to stop the uh, naming and the. Uh, otherizing uh, and really to um, help people understand people that may have different upbringings than them live in a completely different part of the country and yet have these this common bond so um, yeah I'd like to ask you Andrew to talk a little more about what you hope to accomplish by untold America what what and how can we support that well, I think at the end of the day, I, I you know, I, I wrote down a few years ago, uh, you know, a very, very simple, like, kind of purpose statement for the work that I do and our, our little team here at Untold is doing. And I just said, I want to inspire more people to hope-filled action. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm just, there's very, very few things that I, I feel completely certain of these days. But one of them is that we are at our best when more of us are engaged in the process. And I think um, a lot of times there's a whole lot of us who are standing on the sidelines and we, we are looking at history going by as if it's something that is um, a spectator, 
uh, sport, you know. And I think I've seen, from a very personal standpoint, the incredible power in my own life of doing small things, but but nudging my life a little closer to a sense of purpose that's bigger than myself. Like finding little ways that I can contribute to the kind of future that I want to have and, and leave for my kids. Um, it engages me and it, it, it transforms my posture from being someone who's just watching and waiting for those white nights, as you say, to someone who is waking up saying, how can I, with the tools and opportunity in front of me, be most helpful right now? And I think, you know, in, in, in the past, there was this sense in me when we were putting these these stories together for films or, or whatnot that that I would just kind of feel like you know we just we need to do all the work for the audience like we need to capture this whole big complex thing and we need to communicate to them and then they'll know and when they know about this thing then then it'll change the world and that hasn't happened but what has happened is on a couple of occasions I've been able to make something that someone has seen and it has triggered something inside of them, something that was already there, but something triggered and they saw a picture of a way they could play a part in the world. And so my hope uh, for the series, we're going to basically, going through the year, we're going to take each month, we're going to take a different focus, like a different topic, a different issue. Uh, this month, we're in the middle of immigration. Um, next month, we're going to be looking at environmental issues. Uh, we're going to be looking at poverty, race, you know, all these, all these big, big things and breaking them down into human uh, pieces. But the goal is that for the people watching, um, I don't want to raise their understanding. I don't want to, you know, blow up their intellect. I want to grow their empathy. I want to grow their compassion, and I want to actually invite them to real action. My hope is that if you follow the journey that we're taking throughout the year, there might be a moment where you see something that you say, that's me. That's my, th- I could do something there to help. And the stories that are already starting to come in that mean the most to me and the stories that I am kind of orienting my life around right now um, have so changed. They've so changed because a couple years ago it would have been like, I just need to make the biggest, best, huge thing. It needs to be awesome. And now it's like, I need to make something that inspires other people. Because I, I, you know, I continue to see time and time again that people are we're inundated with information and we're starving for meaning. Um, we're overtaught, we're underinspired. And if I can be a part of putting that kind of spark for someone and they can take a step, I just see time and time again, action creates more action. Empathy leads to more empathy. So yeah, that's the big goal. Get more people engaged, get more people in the game. And by the way, it's one of those things too, where I talk to people sometimes lately and they say it's, 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 you know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. You know, we're, we're, we're sliding downhill fast and, you know, wake up. Don't you realize, don't you see the numbers? Don't you? And I do I actually spend a lot of time looking at a lot of those numbers and they're terrifying. And yet it's just that thing. Of, and you guys so share that sense of hope. It's like, if we're, if it's doomed, it's already doomed on its own. And yeah. wouldn't we be better off spending every single breath we have working on something better? And if we're proved, you know, by history to be foolish for trying, then what a what a better way to live. And that's that's the thing I think I'm getting to is is this isn't just about roll up your sleeves and do hard things for people or give your stuff. You know, this isn't like this is like you could have your most rich, meaningful, fulfilling life 
living in the service of others. And I'm just starting to tap into that. I'm just beginning to open that door. And I want that for so many other people. So for you guys, you know, I think just, you know, having this conversation is helpful. Right now, we're just inviting people to come and watch. Um, we're inviting people to come and, you know, tag along on Facebook and follow us as, as we move through this journey. And then uh, to be in touch, to, to, to let us in the conversation of your life as these things inspire you to do things on your own. So where do people go? How do they get in touch with the series and what can they specifically do uh, like comment share i mean would you tell us about that yeah so um we've got everything um that we're kind of cataloging all the episodes and everything you can find all the info at untoldamerica.com uh we're on a couple of social channels but really the most uh i think the best place that we're creating is on facebook and it's just facebook.com slash untold america like the page follow the page and um, you can sign up to get updates on new episodes. And then, yeah, you know, it means the world when, when people comment. It means uh, a ton when people share the videos specifically. We're putting the videos, uh, you know, there's no ads or anything like that. We're putting the videos right there actually as native videos on Facebook to make it as easy as possible to share. And that is our marketing department. So <laughs> when, people, <laughs> when people take a minute to say, hey, this resonated with me, I want to share this with my community, um, right now that's, that's just going a long way. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do, definitely do that. We've been doing that. I will continue to do that, and we will continue to do that. And, um, you know, what's really cool is people can then con- – I've seen a lot of the comments, especially the the previous episode, the one where you were in uh, – gosh, I can't remember the name of the town. Was it in Georgia? I think that one was Iowa. In Knoxville. Iowa. Yeah, Knoxville, Iowa. Knoxville, Iowa, Yeah. There was a whole discussion that came out of that one, I guess, from people that watched it that were from there or whatever. That was really cool. And I'm sure that also is a place where people can um, give ideas for future shows and people that you might want to interview. And Yeah, that- that's, a really, that's a really big part of it, too, because we, we do have a very small team and we're, you know, we're, we're trying to make this the best that it can be. So um, people on the website, right there on Facebook – or, uh, you know, people can just send me a personal note, Andrew at untoldamerica.com. And, um, and yeah, if you have a story, an idea, a person, a place, something you think that is, um, you know, could be a powerful addition to what we're putting together, I, I absolutely covet those notes. And, and several of them seriously have, have led to real production taking place in real areas. And it's, it's been very powerful. I want to comment on something you said, Andrew, that I think is so profound. Um, I remember I worked in a recovery center, I don't know, 20 years ago, and people were saying, you know, what if, what if when you die, you find out there is no, there is no heaven, there is no use in living a supportive community-based sober life? And I said, I couldn't care less. You know, I don't care at all because I'm living my life because it enriches me today. And I think, you know, that's exactly what you're proposing. And that's what Beth Green, the founder of the innerrevolution.org says. It's like, you won't believe it, but it makes you happy. (laughs) That's such a, that's such a secret though. I mean, I know, (laughs) isn't it, isn't it crazy? It's such a secret that being an inner revolutionary, being somebody that cares about oneness, accountability, and mutual support for everybody, Republicans and Democrats alike, could make you so happy. And yet it's so true. It's so well, true. Well, and, and I think, too, like, you know, we're living in the moment. Don't you think there's, there's so much 
um, compassion fatigue, you know, and I think one of the one of the issues of having access to the the whole world right right on our phones um, is that you know it's it's brilliant and and wonderful in so many ways, but it also leaves us uh, emotionally depleted and it, it leaves us overwhelmed, um, and it and it leaves us sometimes in that feeling. I, I talk to a lot of people who are like, I don't want to hear one more story about one more thing going wrong about one more, you know what I mean? But there is that. Um, there was a quote that was from a, a very old um, bishop, I believe, and he said, um, I'm going to botch it, but he was basically like, go go where you're most needed and also where you most need to go. Like there's a collision that can yes. take place between the need in the world and that that spark that's inside of you. And when those things hit, there's like, it's, it's so full of joy and it's so sustainable. That's the thing that really, that, that I'm starting to see when I look at remarkable people is I'm starting to really notice the ones who are in it and are in it for the long haul because they have found that pocket, that place, that area where they can contribute in a very real way. And it's also like a feedback loop of, of joy, you know, and that's, and I honestly, like, I, I feel that with what we're doing. I, I feel that when I wake up with them, I think I get to go listen for most of my job. I get to listen to other people. And then I get to speak with like a thousand voices as I craft their stories together. And there's such a, we were, we, we were just before I got on this call, we just finished this, this next episode that'll air next Thursday. And I, I, I had this moment right as I walked in my office to, to get on the call with you guys where I just thought, I, I love this so much. Like, I, I just I just love, it's like an intoxicating process to me of making these things. And and to your point earlier, it's like, I would love a hundred million people to see. But if it's you guys and my mom and my sister, like, I'm still going to have loved the process of making it. So, yeah, I want that for everyone. Yeah, that is so I, cool. Yeah. It I is love. so cool. Yeah. Uh, I it's, wish... Yeah, go ahead, Helen. Were you going to say something more? Uh, Well, I was, but I can't remember what it is at the moment. Okay, so I'll go. Um, Yeah, I just love that, and I that's I I love that that spark is what you're trying to ignite, and it's it's so fulfilling, like you said. So um, I I would like to talk more. Okay, go ahead. I I think this is an important thing because I going back to what you were saying about compassion fatigue, Andrew, that. We, the only antidote to feeling helplessly overwhelmed by the world is taking action. Mm-hmm. And that, that action may be to be kinder to your husband. It may, because that spreads the energy that we want to spread too. You know, you can do it in your own home. It isn't just about doing it out on the streets or in Washington, D.C. or, what, or by being a great filmmaker. You know, every action that we take that is that an antidote to that feeling of helplessness and lethargy and apathy makes a difference. That's so, so that's true. so true. I love yeah, I love it. I could not agree more with that. Yeah, me too. I'd love to hear, I mean, have you talked about distribution or any I mean I, I'm not not pushing that on you. I'm just I w- I so want to see this be seen by as many people as possible, and I'm sure you do too. So you know, I'm starting to think in my mind like, who could you partner with? Maybe this could be on Netflix as a weekly series, or you know, like that it's accessible to uh, more people. I know a lot of people are on Facebook, but you're limited by your. I don't yeah. know if you're doing paid promotions on Facebook, or you know, if you have the budget for that, or if it's really just you know the people sharing. And I don't know if you have even really are con- that concerned about that. So, but it's something that's interesting to me because I, I so want people to see this, you know? 
No, that's so. great. Well, you can be you can be my sales agent. No, I um I am concerned about it. You know, I mean, yeah. I think at the end of the day, like I, uh, yeah, I mean, I want it. I want it to be really effective, and I want a lot of people to see it. I always, I, I always touch back to that John Lennon quote when he quit art school to play music and he said I, I'm playing rock and roll because everyone listens to rock and roll you know it's like I I kind of have that thought of like we could be making the greatest thing in the world and if we're making it you know truly just for our friends it's not I I would love a major distribution partner and I think I, I'm not being coy about it part of my strategy is that I have found especially here in, in Hollywood mm-hmm. I have found that it can be a lot more effective to 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 put ideas into motion and then to get people to come and join and be a part of that rather than simply standing still and, and being in that line and like pitching from a PowerPoint. So I think part yeah. of it for me was like, I want to go just start. And also like, I just needed to, I just needed to on a very personal level. Like I, I needed to go do this thing for me. Yeah. That being said, yeah, my hope, uh, would be that that we could find a partner and that we could find a partner to amplify it. And I don't know if that will look like a partner on the the episodes as they roll out through the year, or if it will look like packaging it into a larger film or a larger thing down the road. So it's kind of right. like both. I'm really focused on what we're doing every week, and then I'm also yeah, I'm I'm very much trying to be smart about, especially especially now that I feel like we're kind of finding the voice and we're honing in. I think the last two things we put out have been really our best. And there's a feeling like we're sort of clicking into something that's like our space. Um, I totally am with you. I've, I watched that episode this morning and I was like, man, that is moving. And, and it's it's achieving what I feel like you're, what you said your goals are. For me, at least it is. You know, I'm one viewer, but um, it's really capturing that wanting to take action or just even mobilizing me to take the action I'm already taking, you know. And we have a similar challenge to you, you know, we're, we're, we, we have a message that we feel needs to be heard and, you know, how do we get it out there and, and stay true to the message, you know, so the innerrevolution.org is, you know, is in the same spot as you are and we don't necessarily have a partner's, con- you know, like we're going to go to Netflix and, or whoever it might be, you know, I'm not just one that came to mind. So, so I totally understand. And I think like you're saying, we just need to stay true to, uh, feeling that internal impulse of guidance or whatever you want to call it to just keep following that. Yeah, and I think there's some there's some line there, and I think I'm yeah. learning it. I've learned it the hard way. I mean, I went through a a couple of experiences where I we set projects up based on the funding or based on the distribution or based on you know these big names or these big companies or these big producers, and uh, you know I almost I almost lost my soul in the middle of it. And I and I and I don't say that like I was abused. I just say that to say like. I have found that I have to have some kind of control is the wrong word. It just has to be authentic in a, in yes. a way to me. Like I've, I've been in those meetings with Todd and Jane from marketing and everyone around the table. And suddenly the idea you had 30 minutes into a meeting, you're like, how did that become this? And how can I get out of this situation? So yeah, I, yeah. I hope that we can find a balance of doing the thing that stays really true to us and, 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 you know, getting the biggest megaphone possible. Yeah, awesome. But I want to I want to commend you for what you said earlier that if it's just us and your family and friends who listen to it, that's 
also a huge impact because it's it's a pure, authentic you impact and not contaminated in order to appease the corporate world again. So, you know, we have to stay true to ourselves and to be happy with the impact that we're having because otherwise it's it spreads the... I think it spreads the energy to people of don't bother unless it's going to be big. Whatever you're doing, it's not going to be big, so don't bother. And I love what you said earlier that, you know, everybody would like to have a big impact, but even if you have a tiny impact, do it anyway. Yeah. I love that. I really am going to call you on the days I'm feeling down, Alan. <laughs> I love your fight the man interview. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 67 years old. I've been around a long time, and I... I I really feel passionately about what we're all doing, and I feel like I've got another 30 years of fight left in me, and I want to I do it. I want to feel invigorated and alive as much as I do today, and it's because that we're doing this work. That's what makes my life so rich, and I feel so young and so vital. It's because of this work, and I don't want to get hung up and worrying about who sees it and who doesn't like it. I want to feel connected to people like you, you know, who are doing it anyway. And just like you said, you needed to jump in there and do it now, and you did, and I love that. We've got two minutes left, and I want to... Yes. I want Let to us know what's happening next week, and then we'll come back and say, yes. goodbye, say goodbye. Yes, and we'll give him a virtual hug. <laughs> okay, next week, a child speaks. My mommy is in prison. Who will read my bedtime story? Andrea Shelton, president of Heartbound Ministries, answers that question. Your mommy will read to you. Hear Andrea share about the transformative healing programs that Heartbound brings into the Georgia Correctional System to refor- to restore family bonds, and it makes me have goosebumps just talking about this. This work is interrevolutionary because the inmates are not confined to the role of prisoner or criminal. They get to be parents, too. Haven't we all made mistakes? Don't we hope that others will forgive us and possibly see us in a different light? Join us as we feel our connection through the common human bond that transcends religion or political affiliation of longing for family and for redemption. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to give your, uh, your web address one more time. Untold America is at untoldamerica.com, also on Facebook, right? Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Untold America. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much. I love who you are and what you're up to. I was thrilled that you could join us today. And um, I just look forward to staying in touch. Do let us know if there's any way that we can help you. I mean, you know, this, is, this has been a delight. You guys are the best. Thanks so much. And I'm sure we'll keep talking this year. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. And I am sending you a big hug. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful success inside as well as outside. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you. you. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.